It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is going to be with us this hour. We're going to mostly, more than likely, talk to you. one 408 So much breaking news, so many moving parts. We'll get through it all. Uh, We know the President of the United States is going to be busy uh, today trying to, believe it or not, twist arms for Democrats to pass his rescue package. Democrats, they're not buying into it. And a special salute to Joe Manchin. He was asked yesterday, again, are you going to get rid of the filibuster, which means that anything can pass in the Senate with a simple majority? He said, he goes, what don't you understand about no? In fact, he said, what the hell don't you understand about no? I am not voting to get rid of it. So he's been uh, standing pretty strong. And one thing was pretty clear to him, no minimum wage increase up to $15 would hurt his people of West Virginia. And that's why it's a blessing for the Democrats to get that out of this bill, thanks to the parliamentarian. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are growing questions about what happened to the unspent funds from the earlier coronavirus relief packages. Politico reports Republicans are insisting Congress should not spend more money when a trillion dollars in aid still has not been spent. Most of that money is assigned to programs designed to distribute it over time. Absolutely. Makes so much sense. We've been talking about that. The pandemic rescue plan is $2 trillion too much. And now new nasty facts show, and I'm being sarcastic, 100% unnecessary. States crying poverty are actually flush with cash. We'll bring you the latest on its path through the Senate and the facts that should stop it. Number two. Do you believe that right now there's a crisis at the border? I think that the, uh, um, the answer is no. Uh, I think there is a challenge at the border that we are managing. How is this not a crisis? Um, I have explained that quite clearly. No, you haven't. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, this guy's going to be a real treat. He's been on the job seven days. There is a crisis at the border. I mean, stressful challenge for the Biden bunch at the border. And guess who they blame for this crisis? One, two, three, Trump. And they could not be more wrong. Number one. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. And he's the most high-profile governor in the country. And Chris Cuomo, a primetime show, had, was not shy during a pandemic putting him on as a news story, but not now. Cuomo's career is cratering as more unsavory activity is alleged. More allies jump ship. Donors go on hold. Suddenly, the CNN anchor brother thinks he has a lot of, a lot less to laugh about and finally weighs in on not weighing in. If you can follow all that. So listen, I'm going to go through. I don't know if he's guilty of this, but I would say that I've never seen something mount so quickly. Andrew Cuomo has another accuser. Uh, now this one is Andrew Roosh, and she says uh, he had made unwanted advances at a wedding, and there's a picture. Keep in mind, this was really broke by the New York Times, of all places. They were accusing him of making unwanted advances uh, towards this woman. She's a Democrat, worked for the Clinton, uh, worked for Hillary Clinton, and she pay, he evidently planted an unwanted, unsolicited kiss on her cheek in 2019. 
2018. Now, allegations come after a former state staffer accused Cuomo of sexual harassment on the job. Unlike the other two women, Roosh has never been employed by the governor of the state. That, according to the Times, a friend captured the exchange. And you got to see this picture. Looks terrible. I'm not jumping in conclusions. But to take the most high-profile governor on the Democratic side, who many people wish was running for president in 2020, and who certainly has him uh, as a front-runner in 2024 if uh, Biden doesn't run for another term. One of the things that she's uh, accusing the governor of saying, can I kiss you? She says, I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed when really he is the one who should have been embarrassed. It was was when my friend looked at me and said, are you okay, with some genuine concern in her face, that I realized how obviously inappropriate it was, not only to me, but to those others around me. Another video that I'm debating and talking about, he dared her to eat a hill. Uh, a whole uh, plate of food. This weather woman, uh, Beth Sofalo, um, she told a daughter about it. She was at a fair in 2016, said something totally inappropriate to her, I believe, and they believe, told his, uh, told her mom. And guess what? His daughter was there, uh, was the 63-year-old governor. I guess he was 62 at the time. Um, other news people, Lindsay Nielsen was a local investigative reporter in New York who says she was intimidated and bullied personally by Governor Cuomo and his staff, but is hopeful that this story will stop the Democratic governor from using the same tactics. Among the people uh, that are fed up and done with him is uh, Kathleen Rice. The quote, the time has come. The governor must resign. Elise Stefanik, the governor of New York, must resign. He is a pervasive criminal, sexual predator. Lee Zeldin, you know how he feels. Hillary Clinton came and finally weighed in. She says, these stories are difficult to read, and the allegations brought forth raise serious questions that the, four, that the women who have come forward and all the New Yorkers deserve answers to. I'm glad to see that there will be a full, independent, thorough investigation, which I understand will indeed happen. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Continues to he tried to apologize on Sunday, said basically it's our fault for not getting a sense of humor. That did not go over well. Here's the mayor, his arch rival, totally incompetent. Cut four. How could anyone look the people in the face after that? If these if these allegations, if these charges are proven, there's just no way he can govern. So that's a yes. You think that he should resign if any of these are are, are, are proven? Of course. Yeah, of course. And the problem is. Every Democrat has weighed in on Kavanaugh. They were outraged about things that were alleged by a woman he doesn't remember that happened in high school. They were going over things about how he rented a bus to go to a Red Sox game and how much he might have drank on that game and things that were written in his yearbook about nicknames. This happened two or three years ago, and the guy's in office. And now everyone was outraged. Me too time. Here's Lindsey Graham, cut eight. Well, here's what I would tell my Democratic colleagues to do. Uh, Follow the Republican model. We had a Republican nominee for the Supreme Court be accused of something the, the, the day before we voted, the moment before we voted. We could have gone ahead saying this was too late. You said on it. You didn't tell us. This is not fair. We stopped the entire damn process. We had days and weeks of hearings. We had another FBI investigation. We took it seriously. So now the governor who's going to run for re-election in 2022 has a bunch of sponsors and supporters who are just sitting on the sidelines. They are paused. AT&T, Comcast, United Health Group, Ernest & Young, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and Bank of America. They're not going to be backing him as of now. They're frozen. Key financial backers are now paused, they so to speak. John Castamatidis, who owns one of our great affiliates, WABC, uh, says, let's just see what the investigation reveals. Bernard Schwartz, a New York businessman who has supported Cuomo for years on the 
these controversies said to CNBC, I think people who like him and have not been with him for a long time are scratching their heads, asking how did he put himself in that position. Unless he comes forward and faces it completely and openly and honestly, he doesn't deserve a fourth term, even though I like him immensely. I'll move on. I could go on. I mean, literally, when I put together these stories, I, I always have six major stories. I knock it down to three, and I have no idea what television's going to do every day. So I'm ready to go either way. I could not get done with this story. It kept going on and on and on. Between the Democrats, the outrage, the accusers, the sponsors, um, his uh, the investigation that's going on with the attorney general, who's going to have subpoena power, and they have to file a report in the end. So even if he's exonerated, he can't say we didn't find anything. We're going to see a thorough, uh, a thorough report. Another thing I want to talk about is this immigration reform because it is outrageous what's happening. This Mayorkas has been on seven days, and it is a Biden-made crisis at the border. First, he said a 100-day pause in all deportation. Then he actually got rid of the remain in Mexico where 70,000 refugees are sitting. Does that mean they're coming in? Where are we putting them? He stopped the wall, as I mentioned. And then on top of that, he also said we are going to— um, we're going to build more facilities for unaccompanied minors. The number of unaccompanied minors coming across the border year to year has doubled, yet he keeps continuing to claim we are not in a crisis. And he goes on to blame one person for the fact that there is a crisis. And I cannot believe it because this is a time in which currently Joe Biden didn't have a problem at the border. In fact, he had financing for a barrier that he supported as late as 2000. 15, excuse me, prior to 2008, prior to him taking the office as vice president under President Obama. He was for a wall. This wall with technology was being built and was helping. Now they stopped and it's hurting. Here's who, who Mayorkas blames. Cut 13. To put it succinctly, the prior administration dismantled our nation's immigration system in its entirety. Um, when I started 27 days ago, I learned that we did not have uh, the facilities available or equipped uh, to administer the humanitarian laws that our Congress passed years ago. We did not have the personnel, policies, procedures, or training to administer those laws. Um, Quite frankly, the entire system was gutted. Wow. Not true. Not close to true. The border agents will tell you it's not true. I plan on trying to go there uh, hopefully soon and see for myself how bad. I mean, I saw that, I think, at its worst. They could not build tents fast enough. Now they have now they have going to have 13,000 unaccompanied minors coming across the border. And guess how Mayorkas responds? These might be the best kids in the world. And I'm sure they're, they're uh, I'm sure they got all the potential that they want. But we can't take in every kid around the planet. No country can. No country does. No country is made to feel bad for enforcing its rules, except us. Listen to Mayorkas, cut 15. The Trump administration expelled children uh, to Mexico. Uh, uh, and we are not expelling young children. We are not apprehending a nine-year-old child who's come alone, who's traversed Mexico, uh, whose parents whose loving parents had sent that child alone. We're not expelling that nine-year-old child uh, uh, to Mexico uh, when that child's origin, uh, country of origin was Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador. Okay. 
that sounds reasonable. Let's get them back. Uh, let's provide uh, information and transportation to get them back where they came from. See, here what happens. If you, you say, wow, I see this kid, and he, he's so nice, and he's so cute, and uh, you seem, I feel so bad for Okay, fine. But are you gonna be, if you accept these thousands, get ready for tens of thousands that will follow behind them. Because then how humane are you? Emptying out a country to put kids with drug traffickers, human traffickers, because their parents can't come, to go across country after country to get to our border and have a 50-50, and now with his case, an 80% chance of getting in. It's not worth it. Why put your kids in danger? With the way to handle this is deal with other countries, but we're already providing big checks to those countries, and actually loosen up some of the refugee policies, and we can accept more refugees. We can accept more immigrants. We just can't have people who come to the border get in and get in front of the line of those in Africa, the Caribbean, Sweden, Norway, Russia, anywhere else. Israel, Syria, there's a way to do it. It's not just to run in. one 408 I really fear what's going to be happening at least for the next two years into the midterms because they are clueless to solving a problem that is already out of control. Your thoughts next. one 408 Holding our politicians' feet to the fire no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I would love to tell you that we inherited a situation where there were stockpiles and stockpiles of vaccines sitting there. That is not the case. There was no stockpile. In many ways, we are com- we're starting from scratch on something that's been raging for almost an entire year. It's one thing that the vaccine, which we didn't have when we came into office. There really was no plan to ramp up the supply of those vaccines. So there wasn't enough vaccine. Okay. I've never seen such blatant lying or misinformation. Maybe they aren't prepared. 
There was plenty of vaccine. What this administration did through Operation Warp Speed should be saluted. You want to criticize all the other stuff? There's plenty to criticize uh, for Democrats with Trump administration that we know you didn't like. That is not one of them. It drives me nuts. They were able to knock down walls, get this vaccine forward, find out it's even more effective than they thought. But what they did is they bet on maybe six or seven companies. Three, it looks like, have come through. So what they did is pre-order tens of thousands, hundreds, uh, I say millions, millions ahead of time. So if one failed, they're out of luck. But when they were succeeding, they had a base, and then they would go to mass production after that. Admiral Girard says this is personal for him. He was running the effort for President Trump. Cut 27. The Trump administration accomplished an historic feat that will go down in the history of medicine is is absolutely remarkable. Within a year, not one vaccine, which normally takes five to 10 years, but three highly effective and safe vaccines have been authorized. Uh, We have made hundreds. uh, We have the ability to make hundreds of millions of doses. Ninety five million doses have already been sent out. Uh, We enrolled 40,000 pharmacies to immunize everyone in the country. federally qualified health centers. All of this was done. And in fact, on Inauguration Day, the Trump administration had already achieved the goal of one million doses in arms per day that the Biden administration thought was aspirational. So just don't, there's so much you don't like about President Trump. Why pick this? And Joe Biden, do you really think you didn't have a vaccine? Really? You, what did you get in your arm in December? Were you responsible for that when you were hiding in your basement pretending to run for president? So meanwhile, let me update you on what's happening with the rescue package. It's $1.9 trillion, and it's full of, full of so much stuff that has nothing to do with the pandemic from roads to bridges out in San Francisco, one over in New York, $100 million for arts and crafts and, and humanities and libraries. Uh, what are you even talking about? That's a infrastructure bill. Make it separate because we know— Joe Biden is coming back for an infrastructure bill. So then the New York Times of all places did this study. They say, how bad are things for the states? They're about to get $350 billion divided up to states. It's going to be hung. You're going to get as much money as your unemployment is. So if you have high unemployment, you're going to get more money. Hence, the states are going to be rewarded for locking down because obviously there's going to be more unemployed there because they can't go to hotels. They can't go to restaurants. uh, They can't be in entertainment. They can't go to comedy clubs. They can't go to uh, they can't go to um, uh, travel. So the New York Times did this study and go, well, how bad are things? J.P. Morgan does it, and they said, get get this: the states ended up collecting nearly as much revenue in 2020 as they did in 2019. You heard me. This, according to J.P. Morgan, I'm pretty sure they're nonpartisan. Mooney's Analytics used a different method and found that 31 states now had enough cash to fully absorb the economic stress of the pandemic recession on their own. The Urban Brookings Tax Policy, a nonpartisan think tank, found that... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Total revenues from April through December were down 1.8% for the same period. That's it. 
Now, I know his families are hurting. I'm not saying that that stimulus checks targeted to the correct people don't work and you don't deserve it. You got shut down through no fault of your own. I get it because you didn't work at Costco as a manager. If you also had your own food store, you were shut down. So in California, by the end of 2020, the pandemic eviscerated 1.6 million jobs and slashed the value of business properties by 30%. Pretty bad. Despite it all, California managed to collect $10.5 billion more in taxes than predicted, putting the state on track for a 19—hold on to this— a $19 billion surplus to spend by the end of fiscal year July 1. They ran a sur- surplus while they destroyed lives and livelihoods of tens of thousands of their citizens in California. I got more. And now they're going to get more money than anybody else, including Florida, Texas, Nevada, Hawaii, and West Virginia. Those ones, those are the states that got hurt, many of which stayed open. I'm not sure about Hawaii. But uh, Florida and Texas stayed open. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It takes time to build out of the depths of cruelty that the administration before us established. What we are seeing now at the border is the immediate result of the dismantlement of the system and the time that it takes to rebuild it virtually from scratch. Is that unbelievable? Uh, This is a guy that's got the job for seven days. He seems like he's going to be a disaster. Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS secretary, saying the Trump administration was cruel and essentially is at fault for the crisis, which he doesn't call a crisis, at the border. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Institute. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. Brian, it's good to be with you, and happy 185th Texas Independence Day. Right. Uh, that's a big day, and we know Texas is, is a border state. And now yes. we have the new, the new secretary of, of the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, blaming Trump for the problems at the border that, by all accounts, he created, Biden created. Yeah, it's absolutely delusional when you think about in just one month that we have, you know, completely reversed all of the great strides we had in controlling the illegal immigration situation here in the United States of America and definitely across our border here in Texas. And one of the things that I wish that the DHS secretary would come to understand is that Texas is the number one state for human and sex trafficking. Dallas and Houston are the top two cities in the country. Uh, We also have a problem with the drug cartels freely operating in our state here in Texas. Uh, not to mention the drugs that are sifting over into this uh, into Texas, the illegal immigrant criminality that we have, and not wanting to deport criminal illegal uh, immigrants that are here, violating our laws. So I am very concerned that we have someone that is the head of the Department of Homeland Security that doesn't believe we should secure our homeland. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a problem. So get this. The Mexico has proposed to us— uh, having uh, us importing temporarily 600 to 800,000 immigrants a year to work legally, legally in the United States. And here's the question Kristen Fisher asked Jen Psaki. They have not said no yet. Cut 20. 
One other thing that the President of Mexico is expected to propose is an idea to bring uh, an immigrant labor, labor program to the U.S. that could bring 600 to 800,000 immigrants a year to work legally in the United States. Uh, is that something President Biden would consider? I, I've seen reports of that. I believe that's a step that would require Congress. Um, I'm sure we'll have a readout after uh, the bilateral meeting. 600 to 800,000 workers? I, I thought we would have 6.8% unemployment. Yeah, I think one of the things that the, the immediate answer should be, no, we want to make sure that we get Americans back to work. We want to make sure that we get our small businesses, you know, stood back up, especially after they what they've gone through in the past year with COVID-19. But instead, what they want to do is have a $15 minimum wage uh, increase, which will kill and destroy and further uh, ruin and decimate our small businesses. So, again, here is an administration that in the very first 24 to 48 hours, what did Joe Biden do by executive order? He put Americans out of work, and now he is in uh, deliberations, consultations, whatever you want to call it, with the Mexican government about bringing hundreds of thousands of people here to, to legally work in the United States of America. That's a slap in the face to the American people. Yeah, I mean, we're just, we're just looking at the situation now. Uh, at the border, it is totally out of control. They have mm-hmm. gone up 20 percent in illegals. And one thing that Mayorkas said is those, for those kids that come here, you have to treat them with compassion. But you know the kids that come here are risking their lives to get here uh, by themselves. They're going with strangers in many cases. That's basically human trafficking to get them here. And the parents, uh, his heart goes out to him, But he doesn't see around the corner what it means when you say we are accepting them and they're staying here and they're going with foster families. Cut 15. The Trump administration expelled children. Uh, to Mexico. Uh, uh, And we are not expelling young children. We are not apprehending a nine-year-old child who's come alone, who's traversed Mexico, uh, whose parents, whose loving parents had sent that child alone. We're not expelling that nine-year-old child uh, uh, to Mexico uh, when that child's origin, uh, country of origin, was Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador. Tell us what happens when you don't expel unaccompanied minors. Well, first and foremost, it's going to have an effect on your education system. It's going to have an effect on your child welfare system. It's going to have an effect on your uh, your, your your social services uh, and your taxation in the respective states. So, again, I don't understand why all of a sudden, you know, this individual is so concerned about, you know, these children that are being trafficked and they're being abused coming along the way. And I would think that if you don't have a policy that allows this to happen, then you don't have parents that are uh, endangering their children and putting them in the hands of these coyotes and, you know, the young girls, especially, and young boys as well, that are, you know, uh, victims of sexual uh, abuse uh, all along the way. So, again, why are we not talking about American kids? Why, You know, here we are, you know, with this struggle about opening up our schools in America. My pastor uh, this past week buried a 16-year-old who committed suicide because of, you know, the lack of interaction. He, you know, he's not with his friends and all of this committed suicide. And we're seeing suicides uh, increase among American children that, that want to get back to school, that want to have a normal life. But yet this is the focus of the uh, Biden administration. 97,000 of the 8,000 beds for these child refugees are now full. So what they're doing is building more. We understand there's 71,000 people who are from Central and South America in Mexico right now with a deal we call it Mexico, you got to stay there. So that stopped people from coming in. Now they're coming in. The 100-day mm-hmm. pours on deportation. 
has caused people to misinterpret what that means. Here's a Honduran migrant talking to a reporter on January 18th, cut 16. I'm here today because I'm dreaming to get to the U.S. What I want for my people, I just want patience and peace that we can get to the U.S. because they're having a new president. Where's Biden? He's going to help all of us. He's given us 100 days to get to the U.S. Do you believe what the, what the ripple effect is uh, in Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador? If they really believe what? that? Yeah, absolutely right. And that's the whole point. You know, and, and it goes back to that clip you played of the uh, the uh, DHS secretary. It's the Biden policy in this first month that has caused this crisis at our borders because he has come in and said that the United States of America is not a sovereign country. It's just a piece of land in between Mexico and Canada. And everybody is welcome to come in here and do whatever you want, and we're going to pay for it. Uh, and this is just, again, this is an undermining of our country, an undermining of our constitutional republic. And think about this. You have a president that is supposed to you know, uphold the Constitution and, and our rule of law, but yet what has he done in these first days as president? He has put Americans out of work. He has undermined our, our democratic uh, processes. And now he is undermining our country as a whole by just opening up our borders. And he's not even doing it by legislative process. He's just doing it by executive order. Yeah, he is. Uh, the other thing is what's going on in Texas. The Rio Grande Valley, I hear, is being overwhelmed. They're building up more facilities mm-hmm. there. And you guys are in the middle of a pandemic and economic your, your economy between the freeze that you experienced. A lot of people yep. have to boil their water before they use their water. And the oil and gas has been down during the pandemic. Texas has been walloped. Yeah, now's not the time to dump a bunch of illegal immigrants onto the great state of Texas. Uh, I was talking to our agricultural commissioner, uh, Sid Miller, over the weekend. We have lost uh, this year's crop and maybe next year's crop of uh, citrus, of uh, orange and, uh, right. and grapefruit. The uh, the decimation of our, our ag uh, industry is, I mean, those numbers are staggering when you look at it. And I was just in Del Rio uh, on Sunday and talking to the people there. They're really concerned because, you know, they're being overwhelmed and Again, the increase of the cost of social services on them, the safety and security they have to be concerned about. And all of this is being done through the Biden administration by executive order. We're not supposed to be ruled by the dictates, mandates, edicts, and orders of of one person. uh, That's dictatorial. You're supposed to be going through a legislative process, but with their ideological agenda, they don't care. And Texas has to stand up and take care of itself and its citizens. And we we were really hurt in that uh, winter storm a couple of weeks ago. A lighter note, but means a lot. Have you read Dr. Seuss books and felt insulted? Uh, No, I have not. As a matter of fact, I mean, I was uh, just going through green eggs and ham uh, a couple of days ago. No, I'm just kidding. But this is how crazy this whole council culture has gone. And now that Dr. Seuss is is uh, is a racist now, this is this is incredible. Learning for Justice, a liberal education advocacy group, is reportedly behind a pressure campaign against the celebrated children's author, Dr. Seuss, not his real name. But they want it banned uh, to uphold the mission. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center is pushing for it. Uh, National Educator Association is telling schools to avoid reading Dr. Seuss because the children's books allegedly have racial undertones. Have you felt that way as uh, growing up? I believe, uh, Colonel, you grew up uh, African-American. Yeah, I, I've been black for 60 years of my life, and uh, I, you know, 
I've read Dr. Seuss books to my daughters when they were kids. I mean, I, I read Dr. Seuss books as a kid. Uh, I'm doing fine. I was never offended. I've never been mentally, uh, you know, deterred or, or handicapped because of Dr. Seuss books. But this is what um, people in America got to start standing up to. Everything now is just going to be canceled. Everything now, this is like a purge and books and thoughts and movies and, and things of this nature, statues. I mean, it just continues. Continues on, and so where does it end? And hopefully, at some point in time, the the grownups reappear in leadership positions in the in our country and start saying no and refuse to cancel. And a lot of times, uh, the people that do this are comedians. You know, they press the envelope, they shock you. That's why you go. How do you? How are you a comedian today if cancel culture can't. is going to take root? You can't do it. So they want to ban Dr. Seuss books. Last week it was Mr. Potato Head, but they're having success. I have Barack Obama's praising Dr. Seuss on Read Across America Day. So was Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden, I guess they should apologize. I want you to hear Bill Maher. Obviously, uh, we don't agree with much with Bill Maher, but he does speak his mind and wants to be able to do so. Finally, new rule. Liberals need a stand your ground law for cancel culture. So that when the woke mob comes after you for some ridiculous offense, you'll stand your ground. Stop apologizing. Because I can't keep up anymore with who's on the list. Cancel culture is real, it's insane, and it's growing exponentially. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you. If you think it's just for celebrities, no. In an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. And I just interviewed a soccer player who won a, a medal for playing for the U.S. soccer team in Paralympics. Why? Because in 11 years in the Army, he had multiple leg wounds. And he came out against the U.S. soccer's new no-kneel policy. They reversed it. Now you can kneel during the national anthem. He's on the advisory board, and he spoke out. He said, this is ridiculous. We're the only country he knows they lost 400,000 people fighting uh, to get rid of slavery in the history of the world. And because something happened 200 years ago, it doesn't give you a right to kneel uh, for the U.S. soccer. They got rid of him. He lost three of his sponsors, and they, they sidelined him from his job working for a company that tries to fight child trafficking. What's going on here, Colonel? This is the new American fascism. That, that's the only way that you can come to understand this. If you do not agree with a certain far-left progressive socialist ideological agenda, uh, you're, you're racist, you have to be canceled, you have to be destroyed, you have to be removed from the public marketplace. Uh, and, and this does not end well. And so, again, I would just hope that we finally get some adults in leadership positions to start to say no. Because if, if anything is going to change in the United States of America, we've got to start, as Bill Maher said, we've got to start standing our ground and stop allowing this to, to, to happen. I hear you. Uh, Colonel, best of luck. How close is Texas back to uh, overcoming the deep freeze it got and the lack of, uh, I guess, insulation on a lot of the infrastructure there? Well, the power is, is going fine. That's not a concern. But, you know, now you're in the, uh, the fix-it mode, the repair mode. A lot of, you know, pipes uh, I see in my neighborhood, a lot of plumbers out, you know, working with pipes and things like that. But we don't have the emergency situation uh, where we had folks, you know, really having to worry about boiling water and things of that nature. So we've turned the corner on that. Great. Colonel, thanks so much. My pleasure. All the best. All right. Same to you. Meanwhile, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine gave you a lot, a lot to discuss from immigration to cancel culture uh, to the travails of the once lauded and the arrogant Governor Andrew Cuomo. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I believe it's time to find out if you need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. The troubles among the titans over at ABC. Earlier this year, tensions between George Stephanopoulos and David Muir boiled over to a point where Stephanopoulos threatened to walk out on his rival network. It's an unusual intervention. This is unusual. But Bob Iger flew across the country to kind of calm George Stephanopoulos down. Stephanopoulos, I guess, got to be happy. He got a contract extension, a lot more money, and a new production company. Evidently, he thought he was going to be a nighttime anchor. Evidently, he thought he would be the guy controlling all the news during the day. But it's not happening. David Muir is an emerging star. He gets a long-term deal. He's already in the middle of one. He'll be helming the bulk of the network special reports. Wow. How the, how the rich need to be coddled. Next. Lucky. A detailed account of the 2020 presidential race comes out today. Uh, Lucky is a brisk, detailed account of the 2020 presidential race by Jonathan Allen of NBC News and uh, Amy Parnes of The Hill is the first volume to tell the story of the unusual electoral contest. I don't want. Do you guys want to relive this? I not really, but I think there will be some interestingly, you know, juicy parts. Like for one example, they said for the virtual Democratic convention. They were thinking of, oh, let's show the location of everyone, right? So to show that we're not just, you know, on the two coasts until they realized that most of the speakers were going to be in Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> it's funny. That's unbelievable. And by the way, he didn't campaign. What went on behind the scenes? We heard nothing about strife or angst or strategic anything about the Biden camp at all, right? I agree. And I think the name Lucky is correct. Like, as you were saying the whole time, I mean, it was the luckily, luckiest scenario for Biden. If he had to go out and campaign... Would he be president remember, today? Remember, Hillary Clinton couldn't get 20 people. Yeah. So uh, he would have had no crowds because no one wanted Joe Biden. They either wanted or didn't want Donald Trump. And now, not even, and lastly, just the number of crowds. Forget that. He would have asked, had to answer more questions and interact with people more often and would have had more flubs. All right, uh, next. We didn't watch, and it's understandable. The Golden Globe suffers a catastrophic drop in ratings. They are likely to become the lowest since 1996. Nielsen's family, the fast national figures, revealed that the show is 60% down from last year, drawing 5.4 million viewers, uh, down from 14.8 at a similar time last year. The final total is likely to rise a little bit when you get an overall look, but it's pretty bad. It's understandable. Combination of things. Number one, no, no new movies. Number two, nobody cares. No new theaters to watch in, no majesty, so there was never free promotion. I mean, come on. And then also, apparently, they were later, right? Normally, they're in January and have potentially a better lead in, like, a football game or something like that. Next, Biden's senior advisor says the White House will start acting on reparations now. The White House is going to start acting. Yes, going to start writing checks for people that died 200 years ago. Cedric Richmond discussed the effort on HBO's Axios show, so that's going to be interesting. So I guess Barack Obama, whose mom uh, had comes from a descendant of slave owners, will be writing a check to Al Sharpton. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, this is just one of those things we love to talk about, and hopefully it doesn't happen. Mitt Romney's seen with a black eye and stitches after a fall, but jokes, it happened when I went to CPAC. 
I don't know. That's a heck of a fall. I mean, did he put his hands out? Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, he was with his grandkids, but he hasn't given any other details. But it was a reasonably funny joke. And it did happen in Blue State. Yeah. <laughs> it happened in Boston, Massachusetts, a place where he used to be a governor. Got a lot more to say. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. we got a great hour coming your way. Congresswoman Nancy Mace is standing by. Uh, she is uh, an up-and-coming star on the Republican right. And Adam Goodman thinks time is up for Andrew Cuomo. It's hard to doubt it. And we'll do a simulcast on Barney and Company. If you're watching on Fox Nation, you know what I'm wearing. If you're watching, if you want to see at FBN what I'm going to be doing, what our studio looks like, we do a simulcast there. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are growing questions about what happened to the unspent funds from the earlier coronavirus relief packages. Politico reports Republicans are insisting Congress should not spend more money when a trillion dollars in aid still has not been spent. Most of that money is assigned to programs designed to distribute it over time. No kidding, Brett Baer. The pandemic rescue plan is $2 trillion too much. And now, new nasty facts show 100% unnecessary. States crying poverty are flush with cash. We'll bring you the latest on its path through the Senate and the facts that should stop it. Number two. Do you believe that right now there's a crisis at the border? I think that the, uh, um, the answer is no. Uh, I think there is a challenge at the border that we are managing. How is this not a crisis? Um, I have explained that quite clearly. Really? I don't get it. I think you're in denial. Crisis at the border. Oops, I mean, stressful challenge, according to Alejandro Mayorkas, for the Biden bunch at the border. And guess who they blame for this crisis? Trump. And they could not be more wrong. Number one. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. But the problem is you covered the whole pandemic with your brother, the governor. Cuomo's career is cratering and more unsavory activity is alleged. More allies jump ship and donors go on hold. Suddenly, the CNN anchor brother thinks he has a lot less to laugh about and finally weighs in on not weighing in. So uh, let's bring in Congresswoman uh, Nancy uh, Mace. She's on the Oversight Committee, Transportation Committee, our Republican over in South Carolina. Congresswoman, welcome. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me on today. No problem. You know, not many people are talking about the fact that this rescue plan that included the minimum mm-hmm. wage, which has got to be exited, got to be uh, thrown out for the Senate, it not only didn't get any Republican votes, it lost Democratic votes. This is blatantly right, unpopular. Yeah, totally unpopular. And I don't you can't even call this a COVID relief package, right? This is a $2 trillion spending spree where Chuck Schumer wanted a bridge and Nancy Pelosi wanted uh, public transit funded through this package in her backyard. And and we've got open borders, closed schools, and they, they're talking about lifting people out of poverty with this package, but they're not. I mean, this is like a Democrat wish list of things that they're just ramming through. And the minimum wage thing is going to ensure that we have fewer jobs if they were able to get away with that. But when there's a strong economy, 
economy in a strong market, wages are higher. Imagine that. <laughs> Supply and demand, it works. Yeah, I mean, they did a study of all places of the New York Times and found out that most people uh, are doing, most states are doing fine. Now, I know people listening to us aren't. There's a lot, of, and I'm not right. going past the trouble that they're having. I'm not. But that has nothing to do with a bridge in New York and a tunnel uh, or libraries across the country and 100 million or 300 million for arts and sciences. It's just not it's not the right place for it. You must be stunned because you just got there, right? I just got here, and when you look at it, there's already a trillion dollars we've identified that hasn't been spent, and yet you want us to throw more money at a problem that we're not sure where the problems necessarily are. And there are Republicans who are willing to work with Democrats. I am literally willing to work with anyone who's willing to work with me. And there was all this talk about unity after January 6th, but it's been anything but. This has not been a two-way street. And most people in this country, we're compassionate, we care, we want relief to those who need it, not to those who don't. And so it's a very important distinction that we, well, number one, we don't have $2 trillion to spend, but the money that we do spend that we are very specific and targeted and getting it to the small businesses and the people who absolutely 100% need it. And we can't reward bad actors. We have states like Florida and South Carolina who've put safety and health precautions in place. They've stayed largely open, and people are back to work. Uh, Unemployment in South Carolina is just over 4%. So there's a way to do it, um, and we need to be incentivizing uh, reopening our economy everywhere and doing it in a health and safe way. J.P. Morgan Chase found a handful of states, including Idaho, South Dakota, New Mexico, that managed to take even more money last year than in 2019. California has a huge surplus from this. Illinois, for example, per capita personal income rose uh, as the pandemic kicked in from 66,000 from 59,000. So it's right. it's hard to see them needing trillions of dollars. And they say one of the reasons is many states have benefited from the tax law changes uh, enacted that allows you to tax uh, uh, retailers and collect sales tax from out-of-state purchases. So people you right. know, like Amazon got to pay for the local state if I don't care where their their hub might be. Right. Absolutely. And does it make sense? Like I'm thinking it from a logical standpoint. If you had record revenues in your state, historic record revenues coming in, then why do you need more relief from the federal government? Uh, you know, I just I, I think most people don't understand it. There are people who are suffering. There are kids who aren't getting fed because they're not in school. Millions of people out of work. And this is how we're operating. It doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense. But there's a few issues. Here is uh, Chuck Schumer. who wants to vote this week. Cut 21. The Senate will take up the American Rescue Plan this week. I expect a hearty debate and some late nights. But the American people sent us here with a job to do to help the country through this moment of extraordinary challenge, to end, through action, the greatest health crisis our country has faced in a century. So this is the best way to do it right after getting $900 billion in December. It's hard to believe. It looks like, maybe you could tell me better, uh, Congressman Mace, it looks like some Democrats are wavering because that's why they're having emergency meetings with the president. Right. No, absolutely. There are, I believe, moderate Democrats that are, I, that are going to that are very unhappy and understand how untenable and tenuous this could be. But when we're talking about health, no one's talking about the administration isn't talking about Congress isn't talking about the mental health challenges that our that our kids are facing and our education system when they're at home and not at school. Um, I want to talk about the science and the health behind everything, every decision that we're making right now because it's extremely detrimental to everyone in this country, especially our children. So there's a uh, there's a crisis at our border, and it seems very mm-hmm. obvious as crisis at our border. But it seems like the new 
uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary does not believe that. We got seven, uh, the CBP detained 78,000 people uh, the last month in January. That's up from 36,000 last year. Wow. There are 2,200 unaccompanied children crossing the border each week in February. 400 came on Friday alone. That is a 20% increase. How could there's 97% of all the beds for refugees are full right now? How could that not be a crisis? It's a total crisis, and it's it's sort of stunning when you when you know the facts and then you hear the message on, on TV or from their spokespeople and everything. There is absolutely 100% a crisis right now. And again, this is we should be talking about getting Americans back to work, putting our focus on our kids, our vaccinations, to address some of these issues. We need to put America first right now, and that's not happening. It's not happening at the border. We got open borders, but closed schools. We have people that are desperate to get back to work. People are desperate to get vaccinations. Thank God we have Johnson and Johnson single dose coming out soon. I think that's going to be a game changer for us around the country and getting through COVID nineteen. But we have tremendous problems right now and the administration it's really shocking um to hear to hear it when they're talking about the border yeah i want you to hear one honduran migrant uh he said this a week ago cut 16 i'm here today because i'm dreaming to get to the u.s what i want for my people i just want patience and peace that we can get to the u.s because they're having a new president where's biden he's going to help all of us he's given us a hundred days to get to the u.s now, that's not what he's saying. He says 100-day pause on deportations. But that's mm-hmm. the way it's being interpreted. As much as this kid seems like a great guy, you know, I'm not saying he's not. We can't have Honduran, Guatemalan, and El Salvador's youth in our country uh, coming in illegally and then staying. Can we? No, I mean, we can't right now. I mean, what we've got to focus on is we're one of the most, I think, open and liberal, we have some of the most open and liberal immigration policies in the world. Like, we are very compassionate, loving, welcoming, but our system is broken. And so we have visa issues, we have residency issues, green card issues, um, getting citizenship. And, and so if we could have a plan that compassionately addressed these issues, I think you'd have a lot of Republicans and Democrats on board trying to figure it out, but ensuring that we put our American citizens first, that people get into a line, whatever that line looks like, whether that's residency, citizenship, visas. I mean, these things can be addressed in a way that incentivizes good behavior and doesn't incentivize hundreds of thousands of people trying to get here over the next hundred days. Um, it's not as it's untenable for our country. As uh, a, a young woman in Congress, in, a, in the era of the Me Too movement, I feel like women are finally empowered to act up and speak out. I'm amazed at what's going on with the governor, by far the highest profile in the country, and lauded. Right. Robert De Niro thinks he's cool, so that's got to mean a lot. Now he has a third accuser coming forward with a picture involved at a wedding. Uh, I'm talking about Governor Andrew Cuomo. The line is, can I kiss you? She was on to describe to the New York Times, I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed, where really he's one that should have been embarrassed. It was when my friend looked at me and said, are you okay? With the genuine concern on her face, I realized how obviously inappropriate it was, not only to me, but to those around me. Now, it looks like Governor Cuomo has retained a lawyer. Uh, He's not only for that, but for the nursing home debacle where he underreported and ignored Justice Department officials. And you saw Congresswoman Kathleen Rice of New York, a Democrat, says the time has come for the governor to resign. Now, I know you're a Republican and conservative at that. Mm -hmm. Not a big fan of Governor uh, Cuomo by trade. I get it. 
But do you want to know more or do you know enough? No, I think we should know more. I think these these issues should be investigated to the fullest extent they can be. Um, I'm a survivor of sexual assault, and these issues are very serious. When I started to read about them, particularly in the last 24 hours, it's horrifying. And I and I saw the photo on the cover of the New York Post. Um, it, it gives me chills to know that this kind of thing was happening and might have even been happening it rampantly. And I've I've been in, I've been in those shoes, and it's it's encouraging to see. This being attacked both from Republicans and Democrats. This is this is, should not be a Republican versus Democrat thing. This is an American issue, a human issue, and how we treat people of of the opposite sex, how we treat women in the workplace, how we treat them um, professionally, and it's really important. I've been in fairly male-dominated industries and in politics included, and it's encouraging to see uh, Representative Rice and see you folks on both sides. They all say, "Wait a minute, time out." This isn't right, and we need to hold this person accountable. I mean, Brian, he won an Emmy for for, for COVID-19, and now we find out thousands of nursing home patients died at his hands, right, because of the policies he instituted, getting them exposed to COVID-19 in the middle of a pandemic. So um, absolutely 100 percent all these issues, including the possible sexual harassment claims, need to be fully investigated. And the resignation could be quite possible. So his explanation of just being playful, making jokes, and the jokes were falling flat or misinterpreted – that was looked at by the mayor, and he's one of the worst performing public yeah. officials in my lifetime, called a non-apology, including the accuser. So she came out and said, as we know, abusers, particularly those with tremendous amounts of power, are often repeat offenders who engage in manipulative tactics, yeah. diminish allegation, mm-hmm. and blame victims, deny wrongdoing, and escape consequences. It took the governor 24 hours and significant backlash to allow for truly independent investigation. And this is a woman, Charlotte Bennett, who came forward. She does not accept the apology. Would apologizing for saying my jokes fell flat, would that be enough for you? No, I don't think so. I mean, if, if he's a repeat offender, then he needs to be held accountable. It is totally inappropriate, uh, particularly in a position of power, to exert that power over young women. Um, totally inappropriate and should be investigated to the full extent it can be so people know what actually happened or did not happen. I think everyone deserves the right to due process. It's something I've worked on for a number of years. But if this is the case, if this is what happened, then he's got to go. And you're hearing Democrats and Republicans together um, say this in unison. And for me, that is encouraging. As someone who has survived uh, you know, this kind of thing and seen sexual harassment in the workplace, to see Democrats come out and say, this is not okay, we don't condone this, and it's time to go. I think that's really important. That is a turning point that we're seeing in the last 24 hours. How did you deal with it? Did you seek help? Did you, were you, did you find people understood what you went through? Were you able to go to law enforcement, to your boss? I did, yeah, I did not report it. This is back in the mid-'90s. I was 16 years old. I dropped out of school after I was assaulted because it was done by a classmate of mine. And I had, I had no hope for the future. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I gave up on myself. I gave up on life. And I learned some really tough lessons during some tough times. And one of my first jobs when I dropped out of school was as a waitress at a Waffle House on the side of the interstate. And I learned about working hard. When I dropped out of school, I had no other, nothing else to do, so I went and got a job. And then a year later, the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina, decided to let women in. And I knew that, you know, I was going through therapy. There were no, no drugs or pharmaceuticals in the world could save me from myself at that point. But I knew personally, going through that experience, if I could make it at the Citadel, I could make it anywhere. And I turned my life around there. And um, I didn't talk about it until about 25 years after the fact. 
and it took me a long time besides talking about it with my mom and my best friend at the time. It was something back then in the 90s. You didn't talk about it. You didn't report it because you would be uh, paraded through the press and be smeared and it, judged, and it would be awful. Not only is it physically and emotionally traumatic, but wow. having the trauma of it being exposed in the press would have been devastating. So, um, you know, I've been there, but many women, millions of women across gotcha. the country have been there. So. Congresswoman, hopefully by sharing your story, other people feel empowered because they see how far you've come in your career. Congresswoman Nancy Mace, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. If I can do it, anybody can. <laughs> thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, best of luck. Hopefully we'll do this a lot. Uh, back in a moment with your calls, one 408 Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Andrew Cuomo in New York, you've read about that. Now he's got a sex, <laughs> sexual harassment scandal. Some woman in the office says he shouldn't have been flirting. I don't know, you know, that's what she's kissing that shouldn't have happened, the jokes that were not good. I know it, it, it sounds cheap. It was actually very romantic. He said to her, I want to grow old with you and then put you in a home and cover up your death. Wow. Wow, that's explosive. Uh, Who's canceling him? Uh, Let's go to Ricky in Missouri. Hey, Ricky. Hey. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. You want to talk about immigration? Well, I went through the system a long time ago um, to get my green card when I was married to an American lady. And then I became a citizen. And uh, I'm looking at the situation down at the border. It's ridiculous. I mean, maybe I should have just flown into Mexico and walked up. Um, and the other thing is, you know, is Uncle Joe going to reimburse everybody who did it the right way? Yep. Because the whole process cost me about eight grand. So I just don't get it. And, and as, you make and one mistake. Talk- you get a speeding ticket or if you get a DWR, you're done. You, you'll never be a citizen. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then as far as this guy is saying these loving parents letting their children walk through countries, what type of loving parent is that? I wouldn't let my cat walk across the car park on his own. Exactly. Uh, don't tell me that's your only option. You're not, it's not, you're, not, you're not living amongst death squads forcing you either get be killed or, or you're choosing to let your kids go in many cases with the total strangers through three countries in order to get into ours. That's not love. That's stupidity. Thanks so much, Rick, for telling your real-life immigration story that worked. one 408 Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. How could anyone look the people in the face after that? If these, if these allegations, if these charges are proven, 
There's just no way he can govern. So that's a yes. You think that he'll, he should resign if any of these are, 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 are proven correct? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, he was uh, accused of a bunch of things, um, some more serious than the next. This Ann Roosh is the latest one to come out. That was, of course, Mayor de Blasio. Uh, allegations came out after two former staffers accused Cuomo of sexual harassment. Then Roosh comes forward and says he's never been employed by the governor. She has been employed by, I think, the Clintons and a big-time Democrat. A uh, friend captured the exchange of her being uh, grabbed a, uh, by the face and were asked by the governor, allegedly, can I kiss you? She said, I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed when really it was he's the one who should be embarrassed. Also with a couple of reporters, he did some unsavory things. It's Lindsay Nielsen, local investigative journalist in New York, who says she was intimidated, bullied and personally attacked by the governor because he didn't like what she was doing. Uh, Nielsen's a former News 10 investigative reporter, told Fox News she broke down in tears while waiting for her morning Starbucks order last week when she read similar claims by journalist Morgan Femme, who recently detailed threats he received from Cuomo aid. Now, look, he was just berating a congressman from Queens, a Democrat, threatened. And it was something about, hey, maybe we'll find out how these nail salons in your area ended up X, Y, Z. I don't know if there's a nail salon scandal that I might have missed in Queens. I try to read as much news stories as possible. But he was screaming so loud and called so often, his wife was terrified. He ends up being his number one nemesis because he was not giving up. Howard listening in, in Coyle in Nebraska on Coyle. Hey, Howard. Hey, Brian. To empty out these Central American countries is unethical. It's colonial behavior when you deplete their most valuable natural resource, their young and most productive people. And instead, what we ought to do is help them build themselves up, those countries. That would help in immigration. We are helping. We're writing checks. We should bring a lot of the industry and manufacturing to Central America and out of China and Southeast Asia. Joining us now to talk a little bit more about that as well as what's happening with the governor of New York, the most high-profile governor by far in the country. Uh, Gavin Newsom's being recalled, and the other one is is Andrew Cuomo's Adam Goodman. Uh, Adam, welcome back. Great to be with you. Unfortunately, uh, tough piece of news we all have to try to grapple with now. Yeah, I mean, you wrote a bit, you wrote a column about this, Andrew Cuomo, the rise and the reckoning. The reckoning is he's been doing this all along. The reckoning is he's just now being called out for it. I get the sense this is going to grow. It, it goes way back. There are a couple. There are so many tentacles to this. Uh, one is, you know, this is kind of in his DNA. You know, way back when Andrew Cuomo was his father Mario's enforcer. That meant he would cajole and curry uh, to try to help his dad. When and when that didn't work, he learned the art of threatening and bullying. And he's doing a lot more threatening and bullying than ever before. And that's now come home to roost, uh, Brian. As these things started to roll out. First, it was the, the purposeful undercounting on the deaths in the nursing homes that they covered up. They tried to block a court action for six months, finally called on it, admitted they froze uh, because they were worried about an investigation. And all these people were, who lost their lives are now discovering that whereas New York went from being reportedly one of the best in terms of preventing COVID deaths, they now are one of the worst uh, given that the reality was when the governor put these COVID patients in the nursing homes, they passed away. So that was tough enough. That was bad enough. And the investigation, you referenced Ron Kim, the assemblyman from Queens, who got a threatening phone call from the governor who said, I will destroy you. you think about that. The governor calls you and says, I'm going to destroy you. His wife was so 
panicked by this call. She reportedly said she feared for his life. And this is before Lindsey Boylan came forward with the first of what is now three allegations of sexual harassment. And you know, Brian, when you hear about a singular situation, you, you know, out of fairness, you want to get the facts in. You don't want to jump to judgment. But when then you have multiple reports, then you go from a singular misstep to a pattern of creepy behavior. And it's, not, it's now not just a question of if he resigns, he's going to have to resign. And the investigations that will take place after the fact for the, for the governor who wrote this self-congratulatory book on leadership, Brian, get this, he writes a book about himself uh, in, that we published last September. And in the book, he brags he had beaten COVID. Well, that was right before the second surge hit. He bragged that the nursing home thing was really much ado about nothing. Uh, imagine how that both feels to the families of those who lost their loved ones. Instead of having 8,000 to 15,000 plus victims, he, he, uh, he stiff-armed the Department of Justice who wanted a true inquiry. And when they finally came out with it, his own attorney general said there were really 15,000 deaths, not eight. You know what really burns you a little bit? He, through all of this, in the COVID briefings, they called him briefer-in-chief. He's like feeling he's paralleling President Trump and, and outdoing President Trump on his daily press conferences. Literally wins, Brian, literally, an Emmy Award for performance in these briefings. Uh, and he got so imbued with this, I think, as he, the other part of him, which is the bullying, threatening, harassing part of him, was, uh, was going without you know, limit or constraints – he just felt he was going to get through all this. And, um, you know, I, I really feel terribly for all the victims. Uh, first of all, the women who work with him. I've, I've been told, Brian, I hate saying it this way. I've been told by an insider that I only know the half of it. When they read my column, they came back to me and said, you only know the half of it. Wow. Well, the half of it we do know is pretty bad. So, uh, uh, Adam Goodman, just us. real quick, just give people an understanding. He's been a bully since he was working with his dad. Then he becomes attorney general. He made those comments about Governor Pataki. All he did during 9-11 was hold Rudy Giuliani's coat, and he got ripped right. for that. Remember, he was uh, worked in HUD, director of HUD, uh, during the whole uh, during the Clinton years, and that was when they had all those subprime loans. It laid the groundwork for the class of our economy. No one talks about that. But here's an ego that roared, and everyone starts praising him, and he got totally out of control. Here's, for example, an interview with Jane Pauley. Cut one. You are a bachelor. <laughs> You've got a nice house here. <laughs> Having a moment, and you can't do a thing with it. Is your social life in a phase one relationship possibly? Is that an unfortunate <laughs> set of circumstances? Well, I think... Because I, I know you're a bachelor. I know, I know you've talked about being available. Yeah, the house isn't mine. Sort of like <laughs> a rental. <laughs> I will move out one day. I can reopen the economy, but dating, that's a whole different thing beyond my control. Pity, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't hold up well, does it? Uh, you know, it's I'm, I'm, it's chilling just to, to hear that interview replayed. You know, back when, uh, the, and you're right about referencing the HUD uh, problems. He was blamed for actually having been a big factor in the subprime uh, loan disasters. He back when married one of the Kennedys, Kennedy Kerry Kennedy, uh, and tried to to elevate his game, frankly, into the Kennedy clan. He never accepted. He found he was a the glum guy in the corner who just kind of was brooding all the time. That just wasn't a fit. 
but he thought that was a fit for his, you know, his, his ultimate manifest yeah. destiny, right? Uh, becoming what he is. And I think he always also, and I'm not a psychologist, he also, Brian, wanted, I think, to one up. So his dad, who was an amazingly successful three term governor of New York and near presidential candidate, uh, he wanted to go for turn number four in a way, even post mortem. He felt this is a way of showing dad that, that he had this extra value that maybe dad never appreciated. And I think his, his uh, relationship with his brother, Chris, is very complicated. I think he's in a very isolated, tough place personally and has been for a long time. And you thought that maybe, just maybe, COVID was his, his ticket out. As it turned out, it was a one-way ticket to his way out of office. I want you to hear what Chris Cuomo said yesterday. Remember, they kidded around forever. I don't want to play these clips again because I've seen enough of them. Everyone talking about the Cuomo brothers and how they're bringing us through this. Mm-hmm. But now when the controversy happens, listen to what the CNN anchor said. Cut five. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively and they will continue to do so. I have always cared very deeply about these issues, and profoundly so. I just wanted to tell you that. So Soledad O'Brien, hardly a right-wing journalist, said maybe the media reporter, Brian Stelter, could explain why the jokes with Governor Brother was cool, but now Scandal Brother cannot discuss. Well... You can talk about a tough place. Tough place is Chris Cuomo. He's conflicted by two reasons, at least. One is, you know, he's supposedly this straight shooter, and he can't talk straight or even talk at all about this issue. And the second part is there was a real – you know, you've heard about sibling rivalry. This was beyond that between Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo. It has been uh, from practically day one. I remember there was some comment where Chris said the only one that seemed to – to feel there was love coming out of Andrew was mom. And everybody else in the world saw the other Andrew Cuomo. This is the Cuomo that's now in full display. Wow. You know, I think he did the right thing, by the way, Chris Cuomo, by saying, I, you know, I'm going to have to recuse myself. I can't report I on know, this. I know, but CNN made, the wrong, right? CNN made the wrong play letting him go on to originally. Adam Goodman, no great column, great perspective. He brought real depth to an issue that's still unfolding. Truly appreciate it. Stuart Varney next. Simulcast on FBN. Don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, pleasure to go on to the fast-growing networks in the country in a matter of moments. FBN will talk to Stuart Varney about basically the same topics, uh, except for I'm going to talk about one of these Berkeley stories of this professor making sure public schools don't open with this impossible criteria. At the same time, he spotted bringing his... Uh, his child to a private school. So let's listen in together. It hits 10.51, Brian Kilmeade will miraculously appear. It's now 10.51, and here he is. Brian Kilmeade from the radio to your TV screen. All right. Serious stuff, Brian. A third woman has accused Governor Cuomo of New York of unwanted advances. 
Is this is the third woman to do this? Is his political career flat out finished, Brian? Well, I mean, it's hard to imagine it ending up positive. I mean, three separate accusers who don't have any links to each other, expressing very similar sentiments and recounting very similar stories, who have corroborated uh, these stories. Now you have two journalists who pointed out they broke into tears when they saw other people describe what he was like, saying they've been bullied. And when you saw Assemblyman Kim come out three weeks ago, and instead of knuckling under while he was being intimidated and threatened, saying, oh, I will destroy you. Instead, he doubled down, had a press conference with Janice Dean, who, by the way, has a great book out today. And they sit there and they're pushing back, fighting back. And my question is, he is somebody who's just going to fight to the end. He's got nowhere to go. It's not like he's waiting. He's 63 years old. He's got 10 years left in his political career minimum. He was considered a front runner for 2024. In his mind, he walks on water. So he's going to try to fight his way through this, no doubt. But every day I get up, Stuart, you got to see my notes. My first, I have 25 pages of notes, 12 pages on his accusers and his uh, uh, litigious problems. And keep in mind, his attorney general has now got subpoena power to uh, go ahead and do a background on all these things and put together some type of recommendation. So we're going to be going over this with months. I don't expect him to step aside. He's a little bit like Trump, and he fights his way through things. Look, it'll be going on for months. Meanwhile, the government of the state of New York is in limbo. What do you do when your governor's under this kind of investigation for months on end? What do you get done? Good Lord. I've got to move on, though, Brian. And I, I know you've been running this on, on uh, Fox News earlier, but I want our audience to look at this as well. California teachers' union boss who led the charge on school closures, public school closures, was caught dropping his daughter off for in-person, in-classroom learning at a private preschool. Now, that is hypocrisy in the extreme. Sound off on it, please, Brian. It's unbelievable. You know how I feel about the schools not reopening. It's laziness. It's unions. It's bureaucracy. When I watch the Catholic schools with a, with a po- small portion slice of the money making half the salary, not guaranteed, not tenured, they're all opening up. These charter schools, they're all opening up. And then you have these other people, especially at Berkeley, where no, no, there couldn't be more reasons in the world to open. Instead, they find not to open. Then it turns out he's taking his preschool or two preschool or private preschool. He says, well, I have no other option. I mean, my goodness, thank goodness somebody actually taped this happening. I want the kids to be anonymous, but I don't want him to be anonymous. So he's he's emblematic of all these people that say, it's uh, I'm going to live my life like Gavin Newsom. I'm going to put my kids in private school. Sorry about your kids. I'm going to put my kid in preschool. I'm sorry about your kids. And they laugh and they mock in too many instances Parents who say in one instance a couple of weeks ago, we have teachers talking to each other saying they want their babysitters back. No, we want our kids to grow and flourish in and out of the classroom, in the hallways, in the gym, on the way, that interaction in sports that thankfully Long Island's getting back to as of Monday. That's what we want. And there's no reason for it. And now you watch Cuomo start opening things up. Newsom's about to be recalled. He's starting to open things up. It's not the numbers. It's the pressure. Don't give up on the pressure. It's ironic. But it is ironic, isn't it, that these two huge states, Democrat-run, the Democrat governors are in serious trouble in both. Newsom is going to be recalled. And Cuomo, we don't know how long he's going to last. It is ironic. These Trump haters are now brought low because they mismanage their own states. Last word to you. My, My final thought is this. 
the Democrats are coming down on Democrats. It's not conservatives winning over Democrats. Look at his accusers. Look at the people that are asking him, Kathleen, Kathleen Rice, to, for him to resign. The Democratic mayor of New York City asking him to resign. The Democratic Party is disappointed with Gavin Newsom even more than Orange County, California. That's the problem. When you lose your own party, that's because your politics are so bad you're hurting our lives. When you hurt our lives and hurt our kids, we don't care about politics yeah. anymore. They hurt the kids. Out of time, Brian, but thanks as always for being with us. We'll see you again real soon. Go get Big it. Big hour still to come. Um, I don't think he's fully aware that we're sharing audiences too. Like, right? We're, we're lending our audience to him, correct? He knows it most of the time. There, <laughs> he might have forgotten. Uh, Eric, listen, WNDB in Daytona Beach. Eric. Hey, Brian. A lot of these uh, things you're bringing up are spot on. Uh, your caller two calls ago, he was talking about the uh, the temper and the uh, the enforcing. And um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the uh, video of Chris Cuomo out on the street. He was apparently intoxicated because he was slurring and had a drink in his hand. But some young kid thought his name was Fredo, and he called the kid Fredo. And this kid was tiny. And this big bully, Cuomo, is ready to punch this kid in the face on film. And he's just like, Hey, how about I take you out back? I grew up in Lodi, New Jersey, around all of this stuff, and it's not impressing anybody. But why is it's it's great that this is coming to roost, right? But I don't think anything's going to happen to him. I I, I believe in Democrat privilege. For example, uh, we're going to have reparations now. How much is Kamala Harris's family going to pay? I know. Curious. Barack Obama's. Yes, it goes back on his mother's side. So I cannot believe we're doing this. I will write, we're going to be writing checks for stuff that happened 200 years ago. As abhorrent as it is, it does nothing but further fracture the country today. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, some of this stuff is going on. I would think if one of these issues would be a big deal. But about 12 of them are going on that just make no sense, including canceling Dr. Seuss. Only crazier than canceling Mr. Potato Head. And this is an adult show for the most part. Thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKilme.com or any of my books. I personalize them and send them back. They're pro-American. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. From New York, heard around the country, heard around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to be privileged to have with us Governor uh, Susanna Martinez of New Mexico, the former governor there, to give us an idea of what's going on at the border. Also, what it's like running a state during a time of crisis from 08, where she experienced, uh, to now in 2019-20, we're in the middle of 2021. At the bottom of the hour, one of the best anchors ever, great person to co-host with, uh, Elizabeth Hasselback will be with us. She's got a brand new book with a great new message. So let's get to, without wasting any other time, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are growing questions about what happened to the unspent funds from the earlier coronavirus relief packages. Politico reports Republicans are insisting Congress should not spend more money when a trillion dollars in aid still has not been spent. Most of that money is assigned to programs designed to distribute it over time. It seems dumb, right? But doesn't uh, mean that Washington won't do it. The pandemic 
rescue plan. Two trillion dollars, too much. And now we get facts from, of all places, the New York Times that says it's 100 percent unnecessary because most of these states are flush with cash. States are crying poverty, but it's not the case. We're bringing the latest. Number two. Do you believe that right now there is a crisis at the border? I think that the uh, um, the answer is no. I think there is a challenge at the border that we are managing. How is this not a crisis? Um, I have explained that quite clearly. Uh, yeah, uh, it is a crisis, even though I don't want to admit it. Crisis at the border. Oops, I mean stressful challenge for the Biden bunch at the border. And guess who they blame for the crisis? Donald Trump. Number one. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. Not good times for the Cuomo family. Cuomo's career is cratering, and much more unsavory activities alleged. More allies jump ship, donors go on hold. Suddenly, the CNN anchor brother thinks he has a lot less to laugh about, and finally weighs in on not weighing in. Let's bring in Governor Susana Martinez, the 31st governor of New Mexico, uh, from 2011 uh, to 2019. Governor, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Governor, first off, I imagine you run across Governor Cuomo um, in your passing because he's been there three terms. You were there two terms. What was the relationship like? I mean, it seems like this huge ego would be impossible to deal with. Is that the one you dealt with? Is that how you'd characterize him? Well, um, certainly through the National Governors Association, um, he was a part of. But, no, I didn't ever actually have any uh, direct contact with him. We would have meetings where he was a part of it, um, but he is a big personality. I, I understand that, but I, I uh, always viewed him when I would see him as as kind of um, aggressive and pushy and, and kind of uh, a bully. And so, um, but, you know, I, I was not affected by that. It didn't uh, affect me in any way. Um, he's just a different kind of governor. All right. I want to fast forward to immigration, something you dealt with every day. Uh, Right now, there are 78,000 people up from 36,000 people in January 2020 to cross our border in the southern border. Uh, About 2,200 unoccupied children cross the border each week in February. In fact, 400 on Friday alone. That's a 20 percent increase now that they opened up two overflow detention facilities for minors. They're already 97 percent full. That, to me, is an example of a crisis. Is it a crisis to you? Anyone with any common sense would say it is an absolute crisis. When we have those very high numbers, especially with the high numbers of children that are coming across unaccompanied, um, they're coming alone. They're being taken advantage of. Um, their, Their families are having to pay for them to come here. What people don't understand is they don't just walk on their own and come across a border. They have to be assisted to be given the track on which they should go and follow to get across to the United States. And that takes money. And they have to pay the cartels and the coyotes. And that's an organized crime. Um, they are organized in their criminal activity. And they take advantage of these poor people who are desperate to get to the United States. That's a different take from the new DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. Listen to how he described it. Cut 15. The Trump administration expelled children uh, to Mexico. Uh, uh, And we are not expelling young children. We are not apprehending a nine-year-old child who's come alone, who's traversed Mexico, uh, whose parents 
whose loving parents had sent that child alone. We're not expelling that nine-year-old child uh, uh, to Mexico uh, when that child's origin, uh, country of origin was Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador. Unwind that, if you will. You know, a nine-year-old child, first of all, um, a loving parent, how can a loving parent send their nine-year-old child unaccompanied through the desert, through, uh, along with lots of other adults and children uh, to come to the United States? That is so foreign to me. Nine years old. And yes, once they are here, we have to make sure that they're taken well care of. But we also have to make arrangements to get them back to their country of origin. Um, it is impossible for us to take in all these children. And I'm sorry, but President Biden is the one who has invited this crisis to the United States. And now it's sort of backpedaling a little bit and saying, well, come, but not yet. Um, come at a later time because we have to prepare. Words matter. And when he was saying he was going to open those borders, stop building the fence, he is inviting people not just from Mexico or Central America, but from all over the world. I've seen it. I lived in El Paso, Texas, just a few minutes from the border. I was a, a prosecutor for 25 years on the border. I was a governor of a border state. I know what this means. And so when you keep inviting, they're going to keep coming, and eventually they're going to get within the United States, and we're going to lose track of everyone. That nine-year-old child should never have left home. That child at nine years of age, it makes no sense to say, go with a crowd and be with God, and hopefully you'll be okay. You could say go with a crowd, right? Or you could say go with one person who has promised to escort that person across the border. Who are the types of people that escort children across the border? You know, it is my experience and that of the United States Attorney's Office as well when I was a prosecutor. There are people who are part of the cartel. They are organized crime. They charge families in order to get this child across. They continue to charge that family once they get the child across here. Why? Because they have a leverage. The leverage is I've got your kid and you don't have your child in Mexico. And so money keeps having to be paid to the coyotes for this child to be placed somewhere else in the United States. Um, or they just leave them if they become too tired, if they can't make the trip. They just dump those kids out in the middle of the desert. I can't tell you how many times we have heard of stories where kids and adults are left behind because there's not enough water, they're tired, they're exhausted, and they're left to die. And uh, that's what happens, and these coyotes don't care. See, everyone said, well, what, of course, a nine-year-old kid, he's innocent, he's probably he or she must be great, and, and they're going to have all the potential of an American kid. But, Governor, if you're president or a governor or a senator, you have a responsibility to your country. That's not being, that's not being anti-Hispanic, not being anti-immigrant. But to me, it's being— I am an— Yeah, so what, what do we say to people that want to marginalize you for saying, well, for kids can't stay, they got to go back because it's other kids that are going to come flooding across. We can't digest whole other countries. We can't digest all those countries when we have, I mean, you're piling one thing on top of another on top of another. We have a pandemic, number one. We have the, our economies all around that are being affected by that. We have vaccines that are going out to people at the same time. We're trying to protect Americans at the same time. I just can't imagine that, of, of course, we have our, our hearts break for that nine-year-old. But that nine-year-old isn't going to get anywhere 
when they're handed over to a group of men who are bringing these kiddos across, and they become part of, of sex slaves. They, they, sex trafficking takes over in the United States by kids from Mexico. I am an American of Mexican descent, and I said from the very beginning that when President Biden started to talk about the border and opening the borders, that was going to be his biggest mistake that he's going to have to walk back very quickly because there is no ability to absorb this during a pandemic and all the costs it is taking in the lives of the American people. I understand compassion. We want to help, but this is not the way to do it. Understood. And here's the voice of a Honduran migrant, January 18th, cut 16. I'm here today because I'm dreaming to get to the U.S. What I want for my people, I just want patient and past that we can get to the U.S. because they're having a new president where's Biden. He's going to help all of us. He's given us a hundred days to get to the U.S. Do you believe that? A hundred days to get to the U.S. because he says a hundred day pause on all deportations. That's how it's being interpreted. And, that, and, and absolutely. I mean, words matter. And that's exactly the way they're taking it. And that's the way it's being advertised in their country. The Coyotes themselves are actually advertising and going around in a car with megaphones and using those megaphones to say, um, this is what is promised. We can get you across the border. You need to hurry up and pack your things. This is what's going to cost. They have flyers that are being distributed in those Central American countries to encourage people to gather with the Coyotes to cross them over to the United States. That matters. And now they're saying, well, wait a minute, slow down. It's not going to slow down. They see 100 days to get there, and that is absolutely irresponsible to America, which President Biden represents first. Absolutely. We're talking with uh, Governor Susana Martinez, who had the job of governor of New Mexico, a border state for eight years. Governor, how are things in New Mexico? You know, we're still pretty much shut down. Um, We're one of, I think, two or three states that are the most shut down in the country right now. Um, And our border cities and counties are now having um, illegal immigrants that are being dropped off at their um, in their cities and they can't absorb them. The nonprofits were overwhelmed last time in when we had a crisis in 2019. They were overwhelmed. They didn't have food to give to the American people who are in food lines. But now we're inviting tens of thousands a month, 70,000 average uh, or 70,000 for the last four months each month. I mean, we don't have enough food or enough generosity. We're needing to take care of the families that are stuck at home. New Mexico, unfortunately, we're not open. Um, Our businesses are closing. We have vacant buildings. Um, It is really sad. Our kids are not in school. And these kiddos that are coming across are going to have to be absorbed by the school districts. Our schools are barely open. Most of it is virtual. And because the unions, once again, they want more money, thinking that that's going to fix the problem. And money, unfortunately, is not the only solution. Um, and so how are we going to do it? And, and it's impossible. New Mexico is is one state that is going to be hurting a great deal when um, the, the adults and the unaccompanied children come across. Because it's uh, and then and then, of course, we're an oil and gas state and they're wanting to stop fracking. They're wanting to stop the oil and gas industry and, and go into renewables. Well, you can't turn on the switch today and turn it on in uh, renewables tomorrow and think that we're going to have good energy because we're not, and we're not going to have the revenue either. you got to get back in there and straighten things out. <laughs> it's, it's 
hard to see. I mean, it's hard to watch this when we were really crawling out of, you know, the recession. And we were one of the last states crawling out of the recession because we're so dependent on oil and gas. And we have four military bases and three national labs. So we're relying on federal funding. But we were really diversifying our economy. And then here came the pandemic. And then now the immigration issue on top of that. Um, It just takes common sense to take a moment to breathe and say we don't have a system set up that maybe they want to argue and, and, and advocate for, but they've got to take their time. Now the message is out to the Central American countries and around the world. I met a man from Cuba who was coming from Cuba, went into Panama Canal, came all the way up through South America and into Central America, and I saw him cross the border myself across the river and wow. I stopped and talked to him and said where'd you come from and he said from Canada uh, from uh, Cuba and I said why did you come he said I sold my house to the uh, to the coyotes they bought my house they took the money back um, to go- get me here and I said and now where are you going he goes I'm going to try to make it to uh, Florida the border patrol instead took him into custody we don't know who's coming across and those families that have children we're not making sure they belong to that family either. They're being processed so fast that we have no idea who those kiddos belong to it, if they come in right. with a family. You can't play politics at the border. You've got to be smart. And when you play politics at the border, everybody pays the price. The border communities, South and Central America, uh, and nobody. And the Border Patrol is forced to be in the middle. Uh, Governor, I could talk to you for four hours and still not get to the bottom of all this with all the experience you had. But thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with our audience. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Go get him. Uh, Thanks, Governor. Uh, We'll come back, take some calls, and then welcome in Elizabeth Hasselbeck. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You know, the late-night shows are on. Even though they're not humorous, they're basically political shows. I feel bad for guys like Jimmy Fallon who aren't political and have to be, uh, I guess, to try to keep up. And he's not really right or left. I guess he was friends with Mitt Romney. So I don't know how he could be that far left when he comes and visits him and they have a good time. So uh, what was he saying? Allison, you found this last night. Is he still in his house or is he in studio? Um, It looks like it's his house or it's a studio that looks like a house. I understand. So this is what? Set, set this up for me. Um, basically, Jimmy Fallon and John Legend, but you won't hear him in this clip, um, they do a little parody of um, that it's still March and what it's like living through the pandemic. Do you mean like, it, like the life that never ends, every day is the same? A little bit. Okay. March again. It's another morning. Every day like the one before. March again, and it's been a full year of waking up to say, I'm bored, indoors, I'm bored, I'm bored, indoors. There goes my neighbor with his dog, like always, was just a puppy, now full grown. 
Every single day on Zoom When it's over, time to move To this next part of my couch Good evening, Jimmy Hi, Netflix We've got so many wonderful stories for you to watch An alcohol watch An alcohol It's pretty funny it's, it's actually pretty good, yeah. other than the abrupt ending, which actually, is my apologies. you know, the thing is, I actually think it would have been better in retrospect. Are we live? We are live. <laughs> uh, that would have been retrospect for Elizabeth Hasselbeck's bump in. Because Elizabeth is coming out talking about in a pandemic, how to keep your kids active and everything with her brand new book. Maybe we can have a redo. Is there a second it. verse? There actually is. It goes on. There is. So like, maybe, we can pull some more. It, all right. Bill, listen to WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Bill. Yeah, hi, Brian. Uh, love the show. I just want to comment on your last uh, interview w- regarding the immigration issues. And reading these articles about a lot of illegal immigrants being dropped off in Yuma, Arizona, and so forth, my opinion is, uh, one, are they, first of all, are they being quarantined for 14 days? Nope. And, and two, um, what we should be doing is providing buses outside of the catch-and-release facilities and taking them to the city hall steps of all the sanctuary cities. Yes. That's where they should be dropped off. Uh, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But I don't want the kids to be pawns. They're probably great kids. We just can't raise everybody's kids when we have so many kids in America in need, especially in a pandemic. It's just logical. There's nothing wrong with treating American kids with priority. Why is that a big deal? With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. About 15 minutes to be able to take some calls. Waiting on Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Should be with us shortly. She's got a brand new book out called Flash Night. Flashlight Night, an adventure in trusting God. Uh, And also she talks about raising a family in the pandemic, which I believe every single person on some level can relate to. Because I think the whole planet, I don't really know. Any place, maybe New Zealand, but New Zealand overreacts. If you get one patient in New Zealand, they lock down the entire island. For more on New Zealand and their lockdown practices, let's go to New Zealand expert Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Hey, Elizabeth. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Now, do you want me to introduce you as former Fox uh, host or, or The View? Like, what means more to you? <laughs> you know the answer to that. Well, I would hope Fox, but I don't want to. I, it's not up to me to to tell people how they should answer. <laughs> well, I, I think it's I think it's Fox, right? Okay, good. I'm pretty sure. So um, you book- guys were awesome. You were the, honestly such. I, I, listen, every experience I've had has been incredible and fun, um, and I was just so thankful. I, I I just wish I could be more of a morning person. I know I should have got you a one o'clock show. I was giving away shows at that point. You never asked. <laughs> But then I wouldn't have been with you and Steve oh, that's and Ainsley. True. I mean, our entire crew was awesome. Um, I had so much fun. You all were the best to me, um, and I still have fun seeing you every morning. So. And, it, and it was not easy. You know, Allison, right? It was not easy dealing with Elizabeth. How many times would I come into radio just complaining because she was so hard to deal with? And and I think uh, selfish. Oh my <laughs> Nonstop, Elizabeth, right? Brian's yeah. been blessed with two of the most – just generous and like largest hearted <laughs> like co-host with you and Ainsley in the world. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right, I'm being sarcastic. Um, you know, Ainsley, gosh, what a dream. She's just walking sunshine. Um, 
y'all do such a fantastic job during hard times. So I just, my hats are off to you. And if anyone out there is ever wondering exactly how hard Brian Killed Mead works and cranks all day, I am here to say you are the most hardworking, family-centered guys out there. And it's just, it was a privilege to be able to work next to and run next to someone like you, like Steve, like Ainsley, who work but don't make everyone around you pay for it you know you just really make their days better so i it was a privilege to do that with all of you well we are right back at you but i knew you weren't going to stop working you just wanted to fit family first you went down i won't tell you exact address you don't want to give you exact address but you moved to nashville and you have this balance of life your husband's still doing great on espn uh your kids are all thriving and you have a book out now called flashlight night an adventure in trusting god tell us about this elizabeth Okay, well, we're in a season of worry (laughs) and what feels like a rise in anxiety that is real, okay? So, like, we know that kids are worrying. We know parents are worrying. We know anxiety rates are skyrocketing. And leading up to 2020, which was, if anything, felt like an unanswered prayer, I'm pretty sure the the last year, um, when I think Easter, we're coming up to Easter now, um, felt like unknown, uncertain, and unanswered. It was the last year. And so... We had this process in our house of just kind of working out our prayers on this chalk wall. I had a friend, um, young friend named Caroline, who showed me her prayer wall. And we started, we made ours chalk. We saw hers. I felt so inspired. I'm like, we're going to do this um, in a way that works for our family. We made a chalk wall. And then we needed a little extra credit, Brian. So when we were asking the kids to pray about big things and put their fears up on a wall, just get it out so they weren't worrying alone, fearing alone, hoping alone, and they weren't carrying this, like, backpack full of stress around on their own, we all decided to get it out and let it out on this wall. And then we took a flashlight, shut the light off in the room. We had this um, chalk wall and we would shine our light on the things that um, we felt we we could see answers in when we were praying, we could see God answering. And then we would get honest with God and shut our flashlights off. And it felt a little sassy at first, but it was honest. And we have a God who wants us to be honest. So we shut our flashlight off and say, you know what? I don't see you working on this, God. I don't see the answer to this. This still feels dark. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen my parents. I, my friend didn't make it. We, we were praying someone had another birthday. Um, our cousin just got injured. Like all those things, flashlight off. Don't see the answer yet, but we're not going to give up on trusting in who you are, that you care about us, that you're working on it, and that one day we'll see it all. Even though we can't right now, we're still going to trust in the dark. And so that was just where Flashlight Night came from, and it's a story of two little kids getting out their stress on a wall, um, getting out their worries on the wall and really getting honest with God with a flashlight night where we, we get gr- we get grateful, we shine our light on the things we see, and we get hopeful even when we cannot see. And so flashlight night is, is where you get honest and adventurous with prayer. And so it's been a fun thing to see. The inside of the book is actually a chalk wall for kids to write on because that's way more fun. Um, and it's just been a nice way to kind of process stress and worry in a season that I think we all kind of felt like, how do we articulate this to our kids well enough so they're not carrying this stuff alone? And I just think that it's so apropos because one of the big stresses is school. Not so much the homework. That used to be a stress. Not so much getting along with friends. That used to be a stress. Not so much the bus ride, should I go to private or public school? No, the kids actually want to go to school. And now we Uh have this depression and suicide rate going up and this disassociation. And now unions getting in the way of public schools and politicians and the kids are paying the price, and the suicide rate is going through the roof. You have to find a way to deal with this. And for many parents, we're making it up as we go along anyway. 
no handbook That's for this. Right. But now in a pandemic, I'm not going to break out my manual from 1918 and think, how did they handle it? It's a totally different world right now. Also, parents listening, you try to get your kids off the laptop, off the iPad, off the iPhone. Now we tell them to put it on. So it goes, it's counterintuitive. So many challenges through this time, Elizabeth. Everything is, Brian. And you know what? First of all, I saw the special interview that you did with that father from Chicago. And when I heard those statistics, it gutted me. It gutted me for the kids out there. It gutted me for the parents out there because we are designed to be together. We're actually made for unity. We are created by God for unity and togetherness and that with feeling. And these kids have been without. And so I really believe that, you know, the timing of this book, this is supposed to be out way before. And the timing of it, I think, God just knew because all these little kids who are walking through this process have a parent who's going through it with them. And to be able to, for a child to see, yeah, we have, we have some things we're concerned about, but we're not giving up on hope because we can't see the answers. We need to be hope holders for one another. I pray that flashlight light night night is a way that we can do that with our kids as families. They see as a dad that you have things you're holding out hope for too, that you're not giving up uh, because you know, you have a God that doesn't give up on you. And I pray that these kids can, use this way of being honest with God, not hiding things because he sees it all anyway. He just wants intimacy and us to say it to him like, God, I'm scared about this. God, I miss my friends. God, I just want to be in school. I never thought I'd want to sit in physics before, but I want to sit in a physics class with my friends. God, I never thought I'd want to run sprints again for my team. I hate running sprints, but you know what? I can't wait for the day. I'm going to do that again. And these kids deserve to be together in the meantime, and it's betweeningful is what I call it, we need to arm our young children with ways to cope with fear and anxiety and stress so that when they become teenagers, they at least have a method. And we're all just trying to do this. We're, we're, we're flying blind in a way in this season, but we're not flying without God. We're not flying without his eyes on us. And I really believe that. I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I just believe that these kids, um, they really do thrive in school they have eyes on them they have meals they have their friends they need their friends they need great teachers looking out after them so i pray that this is a year that we do not have to see again um but i want to credit you for bringing that to the light because too many kids are suffering right now and that's on us (laughs) that's on our society to that took these kids out of school for so long and took them out there's a way to do it there's a way to play football and I know it's a it's a hard line to walk and everyone's trying to do the best they can but when you look at those numbers it is gut-wrenching right. absolutely gut-wrenching Elizabeth Hasselbeck our guest flashlight night is out her book it's adventure in, in trusting God but talking about going through with a parent through this so there's a way not to uh, by the way Elizabeth was division one uh softball player in college and her husband uh, a professional uh quarterback great quarterback uh, through college, that's where you guys met, and then over uh, with the Giants and Redskins, and now uh, and Eagles too, or no? Eagles, um, yeah, Cardinals. Cardinals too. So and Bill. now he's a, an elite <laughs> commentator with ESPN. It's a lot of you know, he's he lasted a long time because he's so smart. And he you were explaining to me because he would not he can pick up defenses right away. So that's why he was so useful. You need to know your season's not going to fall apart because your quarterback went down. So Elizabeth, there's a way to make sure your kids doesn't get cut. And this is the best analogy I have because sports usually works for this. And that's not let them try out for the team. And I feel as though these public schools have said, I have a good way for these kids not to be in harm's way. I'm not going to put them in. I'm not going to let them try out for the team, not just in sports, but school. 
But there's a downside to that. They don't have the experience of life, of have friends, of failure, of success, of uh, of coming off the bench, being on the bench, starting in a, in a lineup. That means going to school, in the hallways, the people you meet at your locker, in the gym. Instead, for almost a complete year, people listening to us right now have had, not had their kids in normal school. And that is not acceptable because you're never going to get these formative years back. And private schools have done it because they're, they're not going to get tuition if they don't. Catholic schools have done it because they wouldn't be able to exist if they didn't. Public schools get paid anyway. That's the point, isn't it? Well, there seems to be a motivation one way or the other. And listen, Brian, anytime fear is a motivating factor, we know who the author of fear is. Okay, so I'm going to take it to a place where, and if anybody's listening, like I do believe we are coming to the end of this. And I, I like to listen, even if I've had a hard race, I'm going to try to get myself through the end of that finish line sprinting hard. Like I believe that God wants us to finish strong as we can, where we are, as weak as we feel in this time. Um, I pray that this is a season that we can finish in hope. Um, and I also believe, listen, I think every parent out there feels sick about not from COVID, I pray, but they, we all feel sick that this has happened to this year of education for all the children that have faced either a season of quarantine, a year of quarantine, almost a year of quarantine, online learning, remote learning. Uh, I think we know that that is, um, we're doing the best we can, but that there's better for them. I believe that we have a God who multiplies minutes. I believe that we have a God who's going to take care of these kids and he's building in them something. Um, it might be named resilience and it might be named fortitude. Um, whatever they are discovering in this season, God is going to multiply and he's going to use it well for them. He, he always uses a season of struggle um, to make us stronger. And so I want any parent out there who's listening, this has been hard for our kids. Well, it's been hard as parents, but I believe that God will restore what has been lost this year it doesn't mean it hasn't been lost it's been lost but i'm gonna i i can't keep up with you in god analogies and parables um what else uh excerpts but elizabeth i'll give you this doesn't god help people that help themselves and there's a big push for one thing in reference to the chicago story this father came on to talk about his son who was so disheartened because he's a quarterback in the football team. With He had uh, something like 12 opportunities to go to college to play yeah. Division Two or Division Three as a quarterback, but he could not get on the field. He could not get in the classroom. He wasn't seeing his friends, and he killed himself. And they so noticed sad. how many people through his town, and when this tragedy hit him, he realized he's got to go out and go to bat, not to get kids, uh, not to get quarterbacks behind center, but to get kids back to normalcy. And a lot of people are said, if you don't like what your school district is doing, get on the school board. That's taking action. You go out there and you let them know this is not okay. I know that you're a Democrat or Republican. Nothing to do with it. You have to go take action because when it comes to kids, there are no parties. I don't care who wins. If you're going to hurt my kid, you you are. It is game over. And these public school officials have hurt kids because they didn't hustle they didn't try and the reason why i know it is because i i've seen the stuff that i've seen the plexiglass around the desks i've seen the separation in the halls i've seen the arrows on the floors i've seen the schools that did it and they weren't the rich schools they were the principals and superintendents that cared enough to try 
Wow. That's a powerful statement. I think sometimes facing fear means moving forward in a different way. And I think we saw the schools that could, and we saw the schools that would. And there's a big difference. We know that there's a could in every situation almost, right? And the schools that would for our children, hats off to you. If you're a teacher who's been desiring to teach your kids, and listen, there are teachers out there who are desperate to be in the classroom because they know they might be the only eyes on a child that day that seem to care if they're okay. That's where it guts me. I had, these children need to be in school. It is the best thing for them. You know, Grace and I went to Haiti about two years ago and in the midst then of rioting, pandemics, disease, you know what they didn't give up on? Education for their children. Exactly. When they could, when they could, they would. So this nation needs to be a would, I would do that for you. And I will do it for you. And I pray that every Mm -hmm. educator and every school board member and every principal of every school, listen, if you've done it and given it a try, I am beyond grateful because our children need it. If you didn't, I pray that you can just fix it and not do that same thing ever again um, and make it better for these kids. I, I'm, I can be recklessly optimistic about things, but I also, when I heard your story and your coverage of what is going on with these young children. If we need right. any more evidence after that, where these kids belong and where they thrive, right. there's a problem. we got to get this woman a talk show. Elizabeth Hasselback, uh, congratulations on your book, Flashlight Night, An Adventure Thanks, in Brian. Trusting God. Yes. You're the best. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Congratulations. I hope to see you soon in person. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Just to wrap things up, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the craziness out there is anti-Americanism. Uh, one crazy thing, we did Miss Bish Potato Head a little bit last week, did a lot on television, but now this Dr. Seuss... Dr. Seuss, who rhymes with nonsensical characters, who likes to teach people to read. This is Read Across America Day, and traditionally, that's been a time for presidents to kick it off, always with Dr. Seuss books, because this is his birthday, March 2nd, but now they're not doing it, and because evidently there were some characters that referenced that might have had some um, not pro-2020, one, politically correct references, uh, so they've banned. Evidently, they've pulled. The publishers pulled about six or seven books. That's not unusual. Publishers are pulling books like crazy now. Uh, this is um, uh, this is what Barack Obama said about Dr. Seuss way back in 2016. So he's got to feel uh, really bad about this. His whimsical wordplay and curious characters inspire children to dream big and remind readers of all ages that a person's a person no matter how small. Wow. What was Barack Obama thinking? Doesn't he deserve, didn't he give America a big apology? In 2000, the next year, he writes, you know, proclamation. He described Dr. Seuss as one of America's most revered wordsmiths. Wow. He's got to regret that. No, or he doesn't regret it. We've become so politically correct that people are out of their freaking minds. Trump says, said, that, must have been funny. I must have missed this. He urged Americans to always remember the still vibrant words of Dr. Seuss, quote from Donald Trump in 2018. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Now, does that sound poisonous to kids? But it does to a Virginia school district, and it does to a group called the Southern Poverty Law Center, who sponsor Learning for Justice, a liberal education advocacy group. They have made sure, through a study, 
that uh, Dr. Seuss books aren't out there. They claim the characters are all about white people. Unbelievable. But true. People got to start fighting back against this. If you think it's just celebrities or high-profile authors, you're crazy. They're coming after all of us until people start saying enough. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com, order any of my books. You show them then. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.